Welcome to Q Talks, a podcast series by QTech, the Cambridge University Technology and Enterprise Club. I'm Shreya. And I'm Thomas, and we are your hosts for Q Talks, a series for aspiring innovators in which we talk about the typical and not so typical journeys of making ideas reality and changing the world. This week on Q Talks, we're talking to Daniel Valdivia and Chris Rosser. Daniel is the CEO and Chris is the CTO of Unlimitech, a fitness technology startup developing the Smart Mask, which is a wearable designed to measure aerobic and metabolic efficiency metrics by tracking breath flow and composition. Hi, Daniel and Chris. Hey, Thomas, how are you doing? Hi, Shreya. Hi, Hi. Thank you so much for receiving us. Welcome to the show. Uh, maybe we can start with, with you, Daniel. Can, us, can you tell us a little bit about your, your background? Yeah, absolutely. So I was born and raised in Peru. Um, you know, I had the, the luck to have a, a, a very good family. I grew up in a, in a good environment. And I studied business engineering, which is a weird mix of systems and industrial engineering. It's a real engineering, don't, any, don't let anybody <laughs> tell you that it's not. Um, and that led me to work into mining uh, of all places. And the reason why it led me to work into mining is because for, for people who don't know, that's actually the major industry in Peru. So I just wanted to experience something that we knew it's important for our country, but really few people have mm -hmm. any idea how it works mm -hmm. uh, like. Um, and the mining experience was amazing, not only because it allowed me to grow professionally uh, relatively quickly, but because it allowed me to see a side of the country that very few people normally see. And I'm glad for that because that also prompted me to start uh, an NGO back in the days uh, with some friends to to help people with lower resources just get a little better of a financial and economic situation through support, uh, through advisory. And uh, after some years of doing that, I decided it was time for a switch. And I wanted to do an MBA. And to be honest, after reviewing everything, there was only one place that I could have gone, and that was here, which is Cambridge. <laughs> nice. And over to you, Chris. Can you tell us a bit about your background? Sure. Thank you very much for having me on uh, on your podcast. I was born in Bristol. Um, my mum's a physicist, a physics teacher, and my father is um, a fellow uh, in the chemistry department at Bristol University. And so I guess when you mix physics and chemistry, you get engineering. And I studied at uh, a Bristol grammar school in, in Bristol. And um, over time there, I became more and more interested in engineering. And so I wanted to to apply to Cambridge because I know Cambridge University is you know, far and away the best university for, for engineering in the UK. And also I really liked the idea of being able to do a general, a general course because I didn't really have uh, a huge amount of, of knowledge about what I wanted to do after, after my course. Um, I spent far too much time rowing, um, <laughs> but alongside that I was able to do a little bit of studying as well as lots of, of placements um, in industries all over the world. I, I've done work, work experience placements in, in, uh, in the UK and also over in Australia. And, but after, after having all that experience, I decided that 
that uh, I wanted to go into um, product development, uh, specifically consumer product development. And I like that because it, it's, there's a lot of innovation, things are fast moving, um, and there's a, you know, a real opportunity to change people's lives for the better. And so um, that's what I decided to go into after I, after I finished. Great. Um, so you're both uh, CEO and CTO of Unlimitech. So um, maybe if you could give us uh, the pitch that you would give to investors about what Unlimitech is. Yeah. In how long do you want it? Five seconds? Elevator seconds, pitch. Really? Elevator <laughs> pitch. <laughs> well, um, it's very simple. So Unlimitech is a data startup to begin with. And what we have done is we have developed a platform technology that consists of both hardware and software elements. And that technology allows us to do breath analysis in a really affordable, really comfortable way. And those uh, analytics can help people improve sports performance, fitness performance, and nutrition. So that's what we do in a nutshell. Now, the first thing we did with the platform was to develop this uh, solution called the Smart Mask, which is, again, a fitness tracker and software that uh, you wear as a normal wearable, like an air pollution mask, while training. And it measures uh, the breath flow and composition in real time, just breath by breath. It's gathering data. And it uses that to give you the type of information that only elite athletes would usually have access to, both in terms of variety and also in terms of precision, which is really important, especially when you start when you start doing sports a lot more seriously. So what sets your technology apart from the current gold standard in the market? Sure, so the, the current gold standard that's available in the marketplace um, really is, is restricted mainly to sports laboratories. So you'll, you'll go there and you will put on um, a mask and that mask will, will have attached to it a long tube and as you breathe in and out, you'll draw air in and out of that tube. And as the air passes through that tube, it's sampled. And as each sample is taken, the samples are, are analyzed for the composition of the, of the air. So how much oxygen, how much CO2. But this, this air tube is a really important part of all the existing solutions um, for breath analysis. And the reason that, that the air tube exists is because it allows, it, it, it makes it easy to measure the flow rate of air that's going in and out. And it also makes it easy to, to sample the, the breath composition. And what sets Unlimitex technology apart is that we have innovated a way to eliminate the need for that air tube. Okay. And by eliminating the air tube, we're able to make a wearable fitness tracker that can do breath analysis that's very, very lightweight, it's very comfortable, it's very accessible for people to use mm -hmm. um, while they're doing all different kinds of sports. Except swimming. <laughs> Except let's, swimming. Let's underline that. <laughs> <laughs> I, no one get any crazy ideas, please. <laughs> I, I have to make a confession here. I've actually done this. So I've, I've been to a hospital and when I was much fitter than I am now, I was put on a bike and I had one of these masks you just described ah. and I did all an all-out effort test. So I can totally relate to that. Um, yet I have a question for you and that is, 
I did it once and I think professionals do it regularly, maybe every couple of uh, months or so. Why is there a need to, to have this mask? Yeah, so there is one very good reason why the top athletes constantly go to, to laboratories and they go much more often than, than once every two months. They will at least go once once a month. And the reason why it's so valuable, it's because let, let me use a, a very simple example of putting it. Have you seen the heart rate monitors, the typical heart rate monitors? Okay, so that gives you information about your body that you can use to correlate with some work that you do. So for example, if you go out running and you can measure your speed through, through the heart rate monitor and the phone, you can then correlate that with, with the heart rate itself and that will tell you something about your body that you can use to adjust the way you train and other things and therefore improve your own performance, get closer to achieving the goals you want to achieve. But using heart rate only, it's, you know, we say it's like driving a car that only has an accelerometer, right? So you're gonna be able to drive the car. Yeah, it's gonna go, but you're not gonna win any races with it. You're not gonna make the most out of it. Mm. So the metrics that elite athletes get through things like testing at sports laboratories are the car analogy equivalent of unlocking the full set of panels. So you can get a lot more precise and specific with what is exactly going on with your body at a physiolog physiological level when you are doing some sort of performance. Again, in terms of speed, in terms of time, in terms of distance, in terms of power, it's always in terms of something. That's when it becomes really useful. We get, we get both parts, one through the mask and one through, through the software that it's you know, placed in the, in the phone. And the reason why people need it is because there is, again, there is really not much you can do with heart rate anymore. You can, if you're a normal sports person, you reach a ceiling very quickly. So these metrics like oxygen consumption that people use um, tell you specifically about your body's physiology about how efficient your body is, for example, turning oxygen into fuel. And therefore, if you can match that against our metrics like power of speed, then you can do a lot more fine tuning to get to where you want to get. And also to avoid training uh, injuries related to overtraining, which is a big problem if you don't use data at all and you just, you know, toss it out and, and go, go, go all out. Mm. So you mentioned your uh, platform technology, um, the smart mask being the first technology that you're kind of looking into, what uh, other applications do you see this breath analyzing um, equipment being used for? Sure, so what would be, I think, you know, it's important to, to know is that the, the science of indirect calorimetry, which is the, the science that we're using here, is useful for a lot more than just optimizing the performance of the world's elite athletes. Um, it gives you a lot of information, not just about your your fitness and your your level of exertion, but also about things like your your nutrition and your basal metabolic rate. And these type of metrics are really really useful for people who are looking to manage their weight, um, improve their physical well-being, and so it's it's my hope that this technology will will roll out to a lot more people than just just the highly active sports people that we're initially focused on mm -hmm. but that eventually 
it'll be a technology that's useful for, for everyone who's looking to um, look and feel better. And you mentioned you're both uh, hardware and software. Um, so I think it would be interesting to talk about that kind of intersection and how you manage um, being a kind of hardware um, and data startup. Yeah. Um, whew, that's, a <laughs> that's a big question. I, I think we can start by saying that it took us some iterations to get to the specific model that we are in right now. Mm -hmm. um, and our current model is not based on making a hardware, you know, doing some software. That's not the center of it. The center of it is what you do with the data, right? Yeah. And, 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 you know, it might sound like it's just a wording thing, like, mm -hmm. like you're just wording it in a different way, but it's the same thing. But it's not because you're focusing the center of value in a completely different place. And that's what differentiates data startups from other kinds of startups. What we're doing is just using a hardware platform, yes, that we have developed in, in part, um, to obtain data that you could not get any other way. Sure, you could go to, to sports laboratory, for example, but you know, unless you're an elite athlete, go ahead and do that at least every single month. And you won't be able to take the sports laboratory out of, out of that room. You're, mm. you're confined there in that environment, which is not, it's not real, it's not the field. Right, so the type of physiological, aerobic, and metabolic, which in English just means information related to how much you will endure in endurance sports and how your nutrition is behaving. That kind of information to get it in the field, outdoors, indoors, in any kind of place. There is no other way you can get that data with enough precision so that it actually becomes valuable. Mm. So the hardware is just a means to an end. Absolutely. At the end of the day, it's it's all about it's all about access to information. That's really what it is. Mm. So, how did you two um, come together in order to make Unlimitech happen? Um, because it sounds like quite an interesting technology, um, and you both have engineering backgrounds um, from what you were saying earlier. Um, but mm -hmm. how how did you sort of come across this specific technology to get it to where it is today? Sure. Well, I can I can talk a little bit about about my journey. Um, I've always been interested in in entrepreneurship and in in um, developing new and innovative products and technologies, and that's that's really where where I always wanted to end up when I started my career. And so I um, I, I worked for a long time for for one of Cambridge's top um, top technology uh, engineering consultancies. So I was able to. Um, help clients all over the uh, all over the world deliver innovative new products into markets and it's also a fantastic environment really supportive environment to develop um, the technical skills and the, the broad range of, of knowledge and experience that um, is really useful um, in in the type of things that we're doing with Unlimitech. Um, but I've always stayed peripherally kind of involved and engaged with what's been happening um, in entrepreneurship in Cambridge, mainly focused around the university. And, um, and that's where I first met Daniel because I actually attended, um, attended one of his pitches for, for Unlimitech. And we hit it off straight away, um, really 
really became firm friends very quickly and and you know we worked together tackling some of the the, the technical problems that um that Unlimitech was facing mm-hmm. um over a long period of time and sort of through that process i i became more more aware of and involved in in Unlimitech mm-hmm. Unlimitech does have a bit of a background mm-hmm. before before chris joined into mm-hmm. to 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 the team and to lead the the company as a cto and there's a really funny story that chris is going <laughs> to hate hate me for telling about how we actually met um <laughs> But actually, the story of Unlimited starts all the way back in 2018, uh, around September of 2018. Um, and it started as a collaboration between myself and a person I met through a venture creation weekend, which is, by the way, if you're in Cambridge, it's a great way of meeting people that are also interested in doing a venture. Um, and I do have to say that we didn't immediately hit it off, but you know, I met this person that I thought was, well, you know, I think we could potentially work together. And the first thing we actually built was not the smart mask or anything remotely like a smart mask. The first thing we built was a device, a medical device. So again, that sounds a lot more like like Cambridge, <laughs> um, a medical device to help people with type one diabetes with a particular condition they develop unless you unless you check constantly for some markers. Uh, in, in, in their breath and in their body. Uh, and technically, the idea was wonderful, but unfortunately, as a business, it was never going to be sustainable. So one day we sat down uh, in the courtyard, in one of the courtyards of the business school, and we said we basically have two options. We shake our hands and say it was a nice try, and you know, each one to each his own now. Or we try to make the most out of it and, and, and try to find a new way to go forward. So following that day, we spent two, <laughs> we spent two weeks living off uh, pizzas, some stale beer that we found in some old fridge in some <laughs> part of the, of the judge building, and, and water and, and coffee, just brainstorming what we could do and what we could do with a similar platform that we were using already for the, for the previous try. And that's when I came up with the idea of, of a mask that would just be smart because I had seen masks around like air pollution masks and altitude training masks and I'm sure like Thomas you've probably seen or used before an altitude training masks and I said well these are relatively popular nowadays but I've never seen one of those that will tell you hey you are actually running out of oxygen so you better open up uh, you know the, the, the income or you're gonna pass out or the opposite right it's like you could probably push yourself a little bit harder so what why don't you do so and that's how it actually started. And obviously, it, it, it was gradually refined uh, up to the point where we're now. But the, the relationship with, uh, with this person, unfortunately, didn't work so well. Uh, I think there were problems around the management of commitment, the management of expectations, that I think is something that most entrepreneurs, if not all of them, face at one point at least one point in their lives with one key partner, one key member of the team. Uh, and despite my efforts to try to make it work, sometimes when I'll tell this story, it sounds like I'm talking about some sentimental relationship, but I promise you guys that sometimes it, these kind of relationships look like sentimental relationships. It's like we were trying to make it work just between us, like normal people, and, and, and it didn't. 
Uh, so we had to to break up and 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 separate. And I remember this story as well, where I had to do a pitch like one week after we had uh, split, and it was in front of a ton of people. And you know, if you know your Pitch Deck 101, you know that there is always this big team slide <laughs> with all the people in your team who's gonna make who are gonna make this happen. And and it was just me. <laughs> and so people, you know, people were looking at that and, you know, they couldn't avoid laughing. And I, and I laughed too because it was, it was kind of funny. I have to recognize. Um, but that's, that's when I really hit a low point with the company, I think. And, and it was good because once you hit that low point, there's, there's nowhere, nowhere else to go but up. And that propelled me to rebuild the team and also to bring in more people that, that, that brought in complementary skills. I think it's quite an important story to tell because we like not many founders probably admit to having to mm. ha the difficulties of having to restructure a team. So I, def I think it's a good thing to be able to kind of share with people, especially the listeners mm. here. Well, um, I mean, everyone has it's their own opinion, right? But the thing is the following, right? You always hear these amazing founder stories, like like let's say me and, and Chris, and I'm gonna make a story about uh, make up a story about me and Chris. Yeah, we were together. Well, we were together. We didn't know each other, but we were in the same pub one day. We sat down. Uh, we started talking. We wrote down something in a napkin. It was this amazing <laughs> 10 billion uh, pound idea, and we hit it off perfectly. There were no problems. And two years later, here we are. Uh, you know, highly successful multi-billionaires in our yachts. <laughs> and uh, I'm not going to say that that doesn't happen. It's probably happened before. I've heard those kind of stories, but I see it this way. You have two choices. You either wait until that miraculously also happens to you, or you just have to go out there and, and work. Mm. And work, funnily enough, to make it work. Go out to meet people, network insanely, uh, reach out to people who are more experienced uh, than you are, ask if they can help in 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 any way and um, and also keep keep your mind and ears open because sometimes you're bent hell bent on making something work in a very specific way and and maybe it's not it's not the best one and actually uh, in that presentation I I met who is now our uh, our technology advisor Tanya who's a fantastic and brilliant person. Um, and she was amazing uh, with, with, with me at that time because she behaved almost like a big sister. Mm. I always tell her, you behaved like a big sister uh, with me and a tough big sister, but in a good way. So basically we sat down and we said like, well, this is the way the company needs to go and let's, let's not waste one more minute. And not, m not more than two months after that, there were five people in the team already. So how did you um, keep yourself motivated through all of these changes um, to pursue with Unlimitech? I think it's all about having a very clear and strong enough purpose that goes well beyond the life or the predicted life cycle of, of the startup. Mm. Um, it just gives meaning to what you're doing, right? It doesn't matter what it is. My advice would be don't make it all about the money. Um, I don't know if that's enough for you, fair enough. But I think for most people that usually is not enough. But just try to find some larger purpose, some larger goal that will help you get out of bed when things are not going well and keep a smile on your face and, and you know, and, and keep yourself hopeful and, and just persevere. If you don't have that, 
I mean, it's going to be a lot worse. <laughs> it's always it's always a little bit tough, but if you don't have that, I think you're just going to make yourself miserable unnecessarily, perhaps. And when we were when we were talking earlier, you had mentioned um, about how some of your previous ventures have helped you in kind of shaping Unlimitech and how you've um, approached it. Um, could you maybe talk a little bit about that? Tons of learnings, many of them related to what not to do never again. Um, <laughs> you would think that a normal intelligent person would learn the first time that something bad happens and never do it again, but it doesn't work like that, unfortunately, at least not in my experience. Some mistakes I've had to do one, two, three times in order to finally understand what's the best way to, to, to avoid them or to face them or to go around them or, or whatever. What, so what types of mistakes? Um, I can I can I can share one mm -hmm. I can share one for example in particular which has to do again with how to manage expectations manage commitment mm. but also how to understand when when someone else is really going to bring that to the table mm. right? because a lot of people ask me like okay Daniel like I'm, I met this person uh, he she could be a potential candidate for joining my team but I don't know if they're gonna stay I know I want to stay I know I want to do this. How do I know that they are going to do this as well? And for me, the best answer to that came not from me, uh, came from someone I spoke to in a conference uh, some months ago. I cannot say the name of the person, but he was a CEO of a very, very, very large organization in, in Spain. Um, and I asked him that question, you know, I said like, hey, I want to get someone who's crucial in the team on board. How do I know they're going to stay? Mm. And coming back to what I said before, he told me you have to ask them what is their purpose. I think it makes perfect sense. It's like, you want to come on board? Okay, why? Ah, because I like doing this. No. Why? How is this going to help you two, five, ten years from now? What larger goal is it, is it supporting? If you don't have an answer to that, I mean, it's not that it's not that you're necessarily a bad candidate or anything like that, but I mean, I think it does pose a larger risk that the person might find after some time that, oh yeah, now I find out this is actually not for me. Mm. And you're running a company and the company needs to keep going. Mm. So that could be very expensive and actually, Coming back to the story of how, of how we met, because yeah, I'm, not gonna, to I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna let you go away with that one. Um, so, along those those lines, I was doing this pitch one day, um, and we needed we needed. Um, well, at the time, at the time, the I was actually not looking for someone like Chris at that exact time. It, it did happen very soon after that. But there was one event in which I was presenting Unlimited to a group of people. And as usual, when the event is over, you say, hey, does anyone have any questions? And <laughs> I saw some hands starting to rise up. And then Chris literally stands up immediately, <laughs> raises his hand. And he's really tall, as he said before. So it was <laughs> like, you could obviously see that, see that he was asking a question or trying to ask a question. And so I thought that was really funny. And so I said, obviously, like, please go ahead. And just paraphrasing, because I don't remember exactly what you said, but it was something like, with respect to every other venture in the room, it's like, I don't have anything against software and, and digital stuff. 
But finally, finally, someone is doing uh, physical stuff. Someone is building real things. I, I think you said something like, you have no idea how long I've been searching uh, for, for someone in Cambridge to build something like what you are doing. And also, that creates value for, for normal people, not, not just for companies, right? Mm. So, because we also have this B2C element. I think, you know, there, w there was something to that. Mm. And, and that's when I knew this is a person that I, I need to meet, I need to stay in touch with, and actually soon, soon thereafter, Chris is the person that I, I, I called to become the new CTO of, uh, of, of Unlimited. It was actually a quite a fast process as well. I think we got everything done in under a week. It was, it was quite fast. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. That, that also brings us to an, another aspect which I find fascinating. Because as you already said, you classify yourself as a data-driven startup. Mm. Yet to do that, you also required, you were required to develop uh, hardware. Mm. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience and what it took for a startup to actually develop their, their, their own hardware? The story that I have is about my my experience with with a previous um, a previous venture. You know, working for for a consultancy, you have all of the all of the facilities, all of the support, all of the expertise available um, that you would have in like a, a billion dollar international um, conglomerate. And so you can do these amazing projects and develop these awesome technologies, but you never really have true ownership over the, the result of, of that work that you do. Um, and you never have that, um, that responsibility of, of actually taking the work all the way through to, to market. Because at the end of the day, the work that you've done for the client is, is their work and they have to, to take it on and do with it uh, what they want. So. I was I was looking for an opportunity to sort of take more more ownership of a project, and I actually had the opportunity through a through a friend of mine to help him with uh, a startup that he was doing in in London, which was a again a, a hardware startup um, looking to to develop a new kind of of tire, and part of that uh, that process they needed a a demonstrator, a prototype to show to investors and to display at trade shows. Um, and again, that prototype consisted of, of electronics, it consisted of software and mechanics, and they didn't have anyone on their team who was had any experience at all in developing that kind of a, a thing. And so he said, oh, you know, would you be able to help me out with this? And I thought to myself, well, you know, I've been, I've been doing this a while now, um, I'm pretty good at, at developing these types of electronic products. No problem. I'll, I'll be able to get this sorted out for you. And so I started this project, and, and it, was, it was an absolute shock to me. It was a complete departure from everything I was used to because the, there were a lot of things that were familiar. Um, it was a real technical challenge. There were a lot of, of technical difficulties associated with the work. Um, the timescales were really aggressive. Those are things that I was completely used to. Um, what I wasn't used to was the fact that there was just no, no resource, no support, um, no other expertise that I could just call on. Mm. Um, and so I had to 
I had to rely on my own personal network for for things that um, that normally, you know, wouldn't wouldn't have been a problem. And so that was a that was a real challenge for me to to get through that project and a lot of a lot of late nights, a lot of uh, a lot of weekends. Um, but after it was done, and after I had, had managed to to you know deliver this thing, um, this this prototype, it was a real sense of accomplishment from from doing that. Mm. Um, and it was something that I could be proud of having done uh, really just myself. And so that was something that, that I was really, uh, that I was really proud of. And that was the moment when I knew this is the sort of thing that I want to do more of. And maybe a, a, a fun question to end uh, this really fascinating conversation. Um, so sport seems to be this very data-driven Uh, adventure now in a sense um, and the, as you mentioned we are already capturing heart rate we are capturing um, all sorts of other um, breath related data we are capturing power and so on so what else is there I mean what do, we, what do you see in the future as being interesting areas for startups to explore in that space there there is a very very simple way in which you can split all of the types of metrics and information that you can get in the sports world, in the physiology. Let's say it's like a holy trinity of metrics, let's say, right? <laughs> One are the aerobic metrics, which have to do with endurance. The other side, uh, well, the other corner of the triangle, <laughs> the other side, uh, the other corner of the triangle has to do with metabolic metrics, which tell you about your nutrition. And the final corner has to do um, with anaerobic metrics. And anaerobic metrics tell you about the power output of your body in a, in a diverse number of ways. Um, inventions like heart rate monitors started to tell you something a little bit about the aerobic metrics. Things like we're building at Unlimited with, 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 uh, with our technology and with the smart mask What we do is we have gone beyond that and now we cover two bits of the triangle, which is the aerobic and the metabolic metrics. But so far, it seems that no one has really been able to nail the anaerobic metrics in the mobile sense that, that, that you know is required in the future. Sports laboratories are great. They're, you know amazing places to test your performance, but they will always have the problem that they're not mobile, literally speaking. So, you know, I think Chris can comment a little bit more on, on, on that thing, but definitely it's how do you get that final piece of the puzzle, which is power. Mm. Yeah, so, so to speak a bit more about, you know, the difference between those, those aerobic and anaerobic metrics, um, aerobic metrics are really useful and important for, for endurance sports, as Daniel was saying. But there are a lot of sports where some or all of, of the effort that you put into the sport is done entirely anaerobically. You know, the 100 meter sprint is a, is a great example. Mm. You, you don't need to breathe to run 100 meters. Um, you, you start and the, the full effort is anaerobic. So how do you measure that, that athlete's performance? you can't do it using aerobic metrics because that's that's not what they care about um the 
one of the interesting anaerobic metrics is is your body's ability to um, deal with lactate which is what's produced when you lactate or lactic acid which is what's produced when you when you exercise anaerobically and right now the way that you you measure that is with blood tests and typically it's with with arterial um, blood that's taken from an earlobe something like that um, which is not not the nicest test to have done um, back in my rowing days I, I had the the displeasure of being pricked a number of times to, to measure lactate it's not, not ideal um, so the future is lactate the future is lactate but I think the future is in um, getting lactate measurement from breath analysis mm. so cool. it's already there is already technology out there um, that's starting to to come into that space and I think that's that's somewhere that's going to be very interesting to watch in the future is hmm. measuring anaerobic performance metrics by analyzing exhaled breath. Very interesting. Thank you so much, both, for joining us. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, guys. It was a pleasure. It was great to hear such a personal account from the both of them about mm. their journeys and how Unlimitech has developed since it was founded. Yes, I agree. And for me, the, the lessons Daniel and Chris shared were quite personal, but I think they reflect the realities of a lot of startups mm. in that uh, it, it, they have highs and lows and finding the right people is a, is a big challenge and I think that was a really interesting point I took away from it. Definitely and when Daniel was mentioning finding members of your founding team who are really going to stick with you through it and have the same passion as you for the um, subject that you're going for I think that was a really important message. Mm. Thanks very much again to Daniel and Chris from Unlimitech for joining us on Q Talks. This podcast was produced by Carl Homer from Cambridge TV. And we'd also like to say a big thank you to the team at QTech who have been working hard behind the scenes. Thank you very much for listening and please do go ahead and rate us or leave us a review on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also tweet us at QTech to suggest a guest or theme or tell us about your experiences with applying technical skills at startups. You'll also find us at qtech.io slash qtalks.